Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. Today, we'll begin in a new series. It's going to be a, a very, very good series. Uh, Jack Van Gerp, I want to ask you to come on up here. And Jack and I, we're going to be doing a series that's going to help you to actually put more tools in your toolbox. And so next week, when Brianna and Emily are over here, we're going to have some different tools, and we're going to see whether they know what that is. And we're going to ask you also some of the tools that you have in your spiritual toolbox, because that's what it's all about, is that can I increase my awareness of what God has given me to be able to share with other people? If I'm going to share, I need to know, God, how can I do it more effectively in the world today? Well, we have a lot of people who are being taught in schools evolution. And kids learn that from kindergarten on up, and unless we teach them any different, that's what they're going to believe. And I know that there are people who don't believe in a creator. And so we're going to talk about three books by Lee Strobel. The first one we're going to talk about today is called The Case for a Creator. And if a person, and this is out of the order that, that Lee Strobel wrote them, I think the, the Case for Christ was the first book. But I wanted to start with The Case for a Creator because God's so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if you don't believe in God, you're surely not going to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, So therefore, let's tune in and see how Jack can help us today to get more understanding. He's been helping me as we get together. And I said, well, Jack, this is so good. I want the congregation to know some of these things. Tell us, Jack, a little bit about Lee Strobel. Who is this young man? Because if, if now... I didn't know anything about this man, nothing. And so when, when I'm thinking about Lee Strobel, I said, now, why should I read his book? Who made him an authority? And so how would I know what he said is true? So tell us a little bit about the, the beginning of Lee Strobel. Well, I was introduced to um, Lee Strobel through Lee Griever. He told me about The Case for Christ. And so I read that book, which deals with the authenticity of the scriptures and why we can believe in the historical Christ. And then I saw in the back that he had written a couple other books, one called Case for Faith, which we'll do in the third Sunday. And then he also wrote one called The Case for a Creator, which dealt with um, evolution and creation. And um, Lee Strobel was, um, in 1966, as a freshman in high school, he was introduced to the theory of evolution in, in his science class. And being a young man growing up in the 60s and the sexual revolution that was going on, he was looking for a reason to not believe in a moral God, and this was a reason to not believe in it. The um, images that he saw in his science class told him that there wasn't any, that everything that there was came from nothing, and that there wasn't any, any God, there wasn't any accountability, so he could do whatever he wanted to do. By 1974, he had graduated from college and was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and he was given the assignment of um, reporting on a controversy that was going on in West Virginia about evolution. They were protesting um, 
teaching of evolution in the schools, and there was a big uproar, and he went and investigated and reported on that in, in uh, Chicago Tribune. And then in 1979, his wife, who was also an atheist, they were both atheists, and he thought they were pretty happy. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He could be ruthless in his job or whatever. His wife gave his, her life to Christ. And he thought that she'd gone off the deep end. And he said, what's gotten into you? And she just said, this is the truth, and I'm going to follow it. Well, he was waiting for the other shoe to fall. He was waiting for the condemnation and the criticisms. But she became such a loving person that he decided to find out if this was real. And so he went and interviewed theologians in the various fields who were believers to ask them those questions that he felt like nobody ever asked before to find out if this was really true. And in case for Christ, at the end of the book, he analyzes it all and he says, you know, I have to make a decision. Either all the evidence that I see here is true or it's not. And the evidence was overwhelming, so he became a Christian. And so in the course of his Christian walk, he was troubled by those images that he saw in high school, those images that... um, the first man that he interviews, he wrote a book called The Icons of Evolution. And so he went back and decided that as a reporter, he was going to interview scientists who were believers in intelligent design. They didn't have to be Christians. Most of them were, but they didn't have to be Christians. But they believed that the universe did not come into existence just by chance. And he was going to ask them those questions. What proof do you have? What shows in science that these things are true? And that's the uh, case for a creator. Oh, that's, that's good. Now, as I was looking in, in, the, in the Bible, Jack, because you know that this, what I like to do is just find out what does God say about this thing. And let's look in, in Romans chapter 1, if you would. you turn with me there, and if you don't have your Bibles, just look up the screen there. We're going to start in verse 16. Now, for me here, when I was looking at this, this this chapter, I said, well, this Jack is going to tell us everything we really need to know, even though we are witnessing to people, even though we are sharing the gospel with them, we really have to know what God says. And this is what he says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, a lot of people are ashamed of the gospel. A lot of people, they really, uh, they are not going to share with someone who has already told them, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in a creator. And rather than to share with them the gospel, what they would do is just ignore them. Say, well, I'll pray for them, which is good, you need to pray for them. But they're not going to share because they don't feel comfortable, because they don't know how to um, counter anything they would say. They don't have any tools in their toolbox. There's tools in their toolbox. And that's what we are giving, giving everyone today, more tools in your toolbox Because I need to know, how do I share with an atheist? How do I share with someone who really, really, truly believes in evolution? They're going to come with all their stuff, what they have learned. And if I don't know what they've learned, I don't know anything about that, then I'm going to be at loss. And I don't want him to win because his soul is at stake. It's a serious thing to to die and and, um, not be saved. Like this video said, 150 thousand people die per day. So that means that some people are not saved and they die. And that's not good. And it says here, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Then it says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident. And I said, oh, Jack, I'm going to use this verse here because I'm going to tell them that it's evident. It is evident because God made it so, and it says, within them. Who put it within them? That's what it says. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So that means that every single person that's born, God has made it evident within them, within them, what's known about God. It says that in verse 24, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. And it's clearly seen, it doesn't say vaguely, clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So who's going to be without excuse? I don't care how much, uh, how much they, they know about evolution, I don't care how much they believe in it, they're going to be without excuse when, when, on that day. And then it says in verse 25, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worship the and serve the creature rather than the creator. That's a case for the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And we'll unpack that, that a little bit more when we put some more tools in your toolbox after we finish this series, because uh, we want to teach you how to share the gospel with everyone. And this, these scriptures here in chapter one is going to give you. Of very, very, some very important things in my life group. One of the things that they asked me is that, how do I share the gospel with someone like this or like that or like this? And so we're going to talk about that even here. So, Jack, what about this evolution thing? I think that was in Chapter 2 of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about this evolution thing? Because when I was teaching in elementary school, see, I didn't know much about evolution when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, when, when I graduated from high school, they gave us a Bible for graduation. The school did. You know, I said, woo, you know, wow. yeah. <laughs> and, of course, you know, it wasn't recently. I mean, hey, it wasn't yeah, it was recently. Yeah, a little while ago. <laughs> it was a little while ago. <laughs> it was just a little while ago. Yeah. Not long, though, not long. About eight, 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 eight something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about this evolution. You saw the video, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> did, my long, did my nose grow? <laughs> Tell us about this evolution thing, Jack. Well, he said that, um, and even as I was in high school, too, I was presented with some of these images. Um, he was presented with what was called the Miller experiment, which in 1953, a scientist, or actually he was from the University of Chicago. He was a student. He was doing an experiment um, on how life might have come into being unaided. And so they recreated what they thought would be the um, early atmosphere of Earth in a closed environment, and they shot 
electrical charges through it to um, replicate lightning, and they came up with, and they actually produced amino acids, which are the basic building blocks of the cell. And then the second was um, the uh, illustration of Darwin's tree of life, and everybody's seen that tree where it starts as just one trunk and then the branches come off of it. And it illustrated Darwin's theory that all life started from a common ancestor and that through small, uh, minute changes, different species evolved and different uh, parts of those species evolved over time, over hundreds and thousands and millions of years. The third was uh, a group of drawings by a man named Ernst Henkel of embryos. And he took a series of seven different uh, animals and drew the uh, embryo, what observed their embryos and drew pictures and saw the similarities of them. And he said that this was proof that we all came from a common ancestor because the embryos all looked astonishingly the same. And the fourth was the, what they call the missing link, which is Archaeopteryx, which was, uh, I think we've all seen in stone, that uh, fossil of a, looks like a half lizard and half a bird, or a lizard with flat feathers on it. And they said that that was the missing link because reptiles are cold-blooded and birds are mammals and they're warm-blooded. So this was kind of like the, the proof for, for uh, evolution. Now, how are we going to come against that? Because we know that's not true. I mean, we, we know it's, it's really... It, it takes a really, 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 really uh, weird person who to believe that uh, evolution is how we uh, came into existence. And one, matter of fact, when I was teaching high school, I had to teach um, health. Mm -hmm. and, and part of family life, it was called family life, it was basically that uh, part of it was that we came from uh, animals, monkeys. And I, I, would, I told them, I, I went to the principal, I said, look, uh, I can't teach this because this is not true. And the principal said, that, well, if you want a job, you're a teacher. I said, <laughs> I said okay, you know, <laughs> okay. So um, what I did was I taught it, but I, I taught it with a thing that I opened up the class with. Okay, this is what I have to teach uh, because they told me if I didn't teach it, <laughs> then I couldn't uh, teach here anymore. So I'm going to teach what the book says. Now, the book says you came from apes. You know, if you believe that, that's on you. I didn't come from apes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come from apes. So uh, let me let, let, let you know that I did not come from apes. I was created. So now, but the book says you did. So <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> so that's how I, I preface it. And, and all of them start laughing, you know, and, and they, they, they know uh, that um, they know what the deal was because mm -hmm. uh, I was a coach so that I could teach things that, that other people couldn't teach because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah. So what they do we have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we have that we can come against all this? Because I've already forgotten what you said. Okay. I mean, you know, because, you see, so, I, I'm, I'm kind of one of these people who tell me plain, interesting, mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. simple I don't know what you said, a tree, Darwin's tree. So I, I don't know what Darwin's tree is. I've never mm -hmm. seen a tree, you know, about Darwin's tree. I have no clue. Uh, I'm telling you the truth. You say, well, this, this dude, he don't know nothing, you know. Uh, I, you know I, I, it's not in the 6-6 six, six books. So if it's not in the 6-6 six, six books, say, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know because uh, I just don't know. But I want to know how do I come against somebody who's telling me, well, 
Darwin's tree, it starts with this, and, and this Miller fellow, and this and this, and it says, I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So what do we say to people, Jack? I need tools for this box. What, what do we say? Well, since the 60s, the Miller experiment is known by most scientists to be false. Most scientists? Most scientists. Okay. By the 60s, they were uh, pretty sure that the environment of the Earth, well, the early environment through studying rocks and uh, the chemicals that came out and the gases that came out as they dissolved the rocks, uh, they found out that the early environment of the Earth was pretty much, the atmosphere was pretty much what it is now. Okay. And so when they take the same experiment and they shoot electricity through that environment, they do get organic material, but they get formaldehyde and cyanide. Cyanide kills, doesn't it? Yeah, formaldehyde and bombing fluid. Oh, ooh. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You can't even have it in a classroom anymore. I mean, we used to have it in classroom. We used to have um, some things in formaldehyde. Well, you can't even have it in a classroom anymore. It's so toxic. That's what it produced. But they do say in the, cl- in, in the books that it produces an organic material. So they really fudge it. So I can tell people, and we can tell people, that that, that experiment has already been proven oh, to yeah. be false because most scientists mm-hmm. already, they, they already they, they've it. done that again. And, yeah. and if you want to... Think for how you know for high mind mm-hmm. I'm bombing fluid and, mm-hmm. and, and cyanide so, yeah. is something that we're gonna live in. I don't know where you're from. But <laughs> I'm from the oh, no no it's not gonna happen. So mm-hmm. we can use that then. Right, and they um, definitely not the building blocks of life. Uh, Haeckel's drawings were actually they found out that he actually chose the kinds of animals that he was going to draw the embryos of. And then he chose the embryos, stages of development that all looked the same, and it turned out that they weren't the early, they were more like the middle of developments. You look at the early embryos, and they're totally different. There is no, you couldn't tell, there's no similarity whatsoever, so he kind of faked it. Oh, my goodness. So the, and, and people but they say, but, well, yeah, and they say it was, um, even though they don't say that it was a fake, they say it's a good representation of Darwin's theory. So they, they come into it with the, with the um, worldview that this is true and this is a good representation of it, so it's, it's worth putting in the book. Okay, now help us with this, this Darwin thing. You're talking about Darwinism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that was Chapter 3. So tell us a little bit about uh, him and, and his, his uh, theories and things like that. Well, he was a scientist who uh, traveled throughout the Pacific, and he came to the Galapagos Islands and saw the, uh, the variety of uh, animals that were there in a sort of a closed environment and started pondering all of these things and the archaeological evidence and the uh, paleontological, the, you know, the, the rocks and the fossils that were in the rocks. And he just came up with the theory that um, it looked like everything came from uh, small changes, small favorable changes, which he called natural selection, so that as... A um, let's say a cell, somehow or another, <laughs> they never really came to this, somehow or another, doubled. But they haven't come up with how the, uh, the cell came alive in the first place, but let's just give it that the cell is alive, and um, it doubles. Okay, well, this double cell has the greater ability to survive than a single cell, and so this cell develops the ability to reproduce. They haven't come up with any reason for how that happens anyway. It takes information and only people, intelligence can put information in something. But let's give it that. Okay, so this develops 
and it replicates itself. Okay, so now these replicators have a better way of surviving than the downlip replicators. So somewhere along the line, one of these replicators develops even stronger ability to survive and replicates itself. And those are the ones that, and so through change after change after change after change, you get people. Okay, so, 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 so Darwin actually believes that he came from a monkey. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Now, I hope there's no one here believes that you came from a monkey. I hope it's not. And, and, and I hope there's no one here believes in evolution uh, because uh, it's a lie. Uh, now, the thing is that I asked Jack, I said, now, Jack, it takes a lot of, um, you know how people sit around and, and think of science, science fiction stuff. You know, um, it takes a, lo- a lot of creativity to think that evolution is true because you just think about now. I asked Jack, Jack, if, 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 if they actually believe that, they really got to be not intelligent. I don't care how many uh, PhDs, DDDs, or whoever they have behind their name because if evolution was true, they would have to know that they are still evolving. So what actually are they going to, what is Darwin going to become? He, he came from a monkey into a man. What else is he going to develop into? Because evolution doesn't stop, evidently. I mean, if, you, if, it's, if everything is evolving, it's got to keep evolving. So what is man going to become, at least he, him, not, not us. We know where we came from. But what is Darwin going to end up being, a machine? Or is it going to end up being What? A vapor? What is he going to be? He never speculated on that. They never got that far. Oh. No, I mean, there's a lot of speculations that we become super intelligent and we no longer need a body. Well, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. we're, we're going to have a body now. Not this <laughs> one. We're going to have a body, a new body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Do you all understand what I'm saying? You know, that's, that's one thing I ask, and I think I, I will be able to ask someone who believes in evolution, what are you going to what are you going to evolve into next? You came from an ape, but what are you going to next? Maybe you came from a maybe you came from a spider, you know. Uh, and and, and I'll, I'll play with them, really. I'll play with them because see, they got to be ignorant, so so I'll play with them like that. Say. Well, most people want to believe in it because it, it, if there is no moral God, then morality is whatever you make it. Mm-hmm. Right. And. Um, I remember I was watching D. James Kennedy preaching on um, intelligent design mm-hmm. and against uh, evolution one time, and he said that he was watching on PBS, he was watching an interview with a, um, a famous evolutionist. His name was uh, Sir Julian Huxley, the British guy. And uh, the reporter asked him, he said, why do you think it is that the scientific community went over to this theory so greatly and so quickly. And he said he thought for a minute, and then he said, I think it's because the idea of special creation by a moral God gets in the way of our sex lives. And he said, I almost fell off the couch. I couldn't believe that he said that because (laughs) it was just like the curtain was being drawn aside and you could see the emperor had no clothes. Mm -hmm. And he said, did he really say that? And the reporter asked him again, and he said the same thing. 
So I think that it's, it's the easiest thing to just believe what these guys say. It's easier to believe in that than it is and, and to just do whatever you want to do because following Christ, it's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And when you're following this, you don't have to sacrifice anything, man. It's, right. you know, survival of the fittest. Right. So, so I'm he, for me. So Darwin really believes that when he died, nothing happened. He right. just went back to... Went to the dust. Went to the dust mm-hmm. or something. Okay. But it couldn't cease. Yeah, yeah, because he, I don't know, he might have thought he went back to a single cell. I don't know what he went back to. But the thing is that he's going to be a rude awakening on that day. It's already there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on that day. It's, he's already there. Now tell us about uh, this when science meets faith. Okay. I think that's, that's one of the ones... Uh, that, that came out in this mm-hmm. book when science, because most people want to be scientists. Well, what well, a scientist said this, and everybody wants to think that scientists know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there are those who believe that science teaches about um, what it calls empirical evidence, that, that which can be um, proven or disproven by observation or experiment, and that faith speaks about morals and behavior, and the two don't come in contact with one another, that uh, science cannot speak about truth and morals, and faith cannot speak about what can be seen and tested. Well, we know that's not true. That's right. Many scientists are coming to believe um, that there are things that, that science explains and that, that faith cannot explain, it's like how many atoms are there in a molecule, and mm-hmm. you know what's the distance speed of light in a vacuum and all that. You can do that through science. But we also know that the scriptures were written in a historical uh, context, and the scriptures rely upon eyewitness accounts of things that happened that, that explain um, what, how, it, how things came about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're not at odds. As a matter of fact, science done right and Christianity or, or faith done right they complement one another. And it's only in the last, really, it's only been in the last 50 years that we've had these tremendous discoveries in science that point to a creator. Up until about, I'd say, the, uh, the folks in the book say about 1910, 1915, the consensus among most um, astronomers was that the universe, going back from Aristotle, uh, back B.C., he said that the universe is, is just a steady state. It's all like Carl Sagan said on Cosmos. He said the, the cosmos is all there is, was, or ever will be. He believed in a steady state, that, it was, that that was eternal and it was always there. And it wasn't until they started really developing the, um, the equations that proved and disproved things in physics that they saw that the universe is actually expanding. Right. Well, well, I think when you were uh, teaching me these things, uh, you told me that most scientists, or these 50% of the scientists, don't believe what Darwin says. That's right. So when half of them, it's it's about 50-50 right now. Mm -hmm. But the 50 who are believers of an intelligent creator are not the ones who are controlling what you're hearing and seeing. Oh, when you see something on TV or mm-hmm. something, it's the other ones. Yeah. Okay. Well, when, when someone asks, 
when someone says to me and to us, well, scientists have proven that evolution exists. We can tell them that no, 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 no. Half of them, you correct, said that, but another half says that evolution is foolish. So now what scientists are you look, look, listening to? And so really, we can, we can come with that. That's pretty good. Well, a lot of them will say, well, they're coming from a, a religious uh, a worldview, and they can't be trusted because it's, their science is polluted by this, this faith. Well, I can tell them they, they're coming from the devil. That's ex well. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, what when he was interviewing one of the uh, one of these guys and and these fellows that he's interviewed, they're not just average people off the street. These guys have gone through doctorates in chemistry, oh. biology, mm -hmm. physics, astronomy. Um, some of them have gone through two and three doctorates. They're just mm -hmm. interested in this stuff, and they go into it. It's not like they just, oh, I just read something in the paper. Right. They've spent years studying these things. Hmm. They have more credentials and PhDs after their name than I have numbers and letters in my name. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just really got into it. So it's not like you're, you're um, listening to someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about. These people, they, they know what they're talking about, and they talk to the people and debate the people that believe in evolution. And so these are the good guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you about this other chapter that, that was in there about the Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. you know, there was, there's a chapter in there yeah. that, that he did some research on that too because you hear that a lot of times about uh, when people, you're talking to people, oh, I don't think um, God created anything. I don't believe it's a God. I think everything is just a, a Big Bang. You know? well, what about that? Jack? Well, up, like I said, up until about 1920, Everyone believed, the common consensus was that the universe was just eternal, that it was just steady, that it was just there. And then um, one of the astronomers, I think it was either uh, Hubble, the, who they named the Space Telescope after, or I um, can't think of the other guy's name right now, I'm coming up blank. But he was looking at these distant objects through his... Um, telescope, these, these big telescopes, and he was using a, a spectrograph which shows the light that it's emitted from them, and he noticed that everywhere he looked, these universe, or these uh, galaxies, were emitting uh, from the red spectrum. And they know from scientific experimentation that when a distant object or when an object emits light from the red spectrum, means it's traveling away from you. They call it the Doppler effect. You know, you hear the, the sirens coming towards you. It's on a high pitch, and when it's traveling away from you, the pitch lowers. Well, as the light moves away from you, it shifts towards the red. And they were astonished because everywhere they looked, everything was moving away from everything else at approximately two-thirds the speed of light, which is pretty fast. And some... Some observations are that it's actually accelerating. So when they looked at that, they were astonished, and they realized that if it's expanding, it had to expand from something. Mm -hmm. And that implied a beginning, and mm. a beginner, because oh, okay. there's a principle called the Calum, K-A-L-A-M principle, which was developed in the Middle Ages, and there's three, three parts to it. It says whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. In other words, it's caused. It's not 
just popped into existence anywhere. And through observation, we know that things just don't pop into existence. Otherwise, you'd be afraid that when you went home, there'd be a horse in your living room. Right. <laughs> I mean, it could happen, right? right? Yeah. The universe popped into right. existence. Right. An elephant or a horse pop right. into your living room. Right. You just explained to us how You'd say, who did this? Is, you know? yeah. <laughs> That's good. I bet you it was Chad. That's good. <laughs> Chad would do something like that. Now, let's go to the uh, last two things that we wanted to share to give give them a little tools for the two boxes that they, in I think it's chapter maybe seven in, in, in the book, when they were talking about how um, precious or unique this planet is. And I think uh, they, they maybe mm-hmm. call it. The privileged planet. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. Tell us about, about how, how, explain to us how, how evolution, all this stuff can't be true because of the, what has been found out about how our planet is really unique. The, um, the common consensus was is that wherever you have a planet you can, and you have water, you could have life. And um, as, they, as they discover more and more the complexity of life, uh, astronomers have found... Uh, Lee Strobel interviewed two astronomers uh, at Chicago's airport uh, one time when they were passing through. And um, they wrote a book called The Privileged Planet. And as they studied uh, the different things that it takes in order to have life as we know it, to sustain life as we know it, they found that there were some pretty stiff things that had to happen. First of all, you had to have the right kind of a galaxy. You just couldn't have any kind of galaxy. There's elliptical galaxies and nebula and we have a spiral galaxy. Well, about 90% of the galaxies in the universe are not spiral galaxies. So that eliminates 90% right away. Just cut it right out. The next thing you need, you need um, the right place in the galaxy. It can't be too close to the center because the center is a black hole, and it's going to suck you up. There's a lot of supernova going off over there and a lot of uh, killer radiation. If you have it too far away, you don't get enough of what you need in order to sustain life. And so you need to be in a habitable zone within the galaxy. We happen to be there. Well, you can't be too close to a certain amount of stars because then you'll be too close to that radiation, but you can't be too far away. And we just happen to be in the right spot of the spiral arm of our galaxy. Then you have to have the right kind of star. It can't be just any star. It uh, can't be a red star, it can't be a white star, it can't be a blue. It has to be a yellow star. Our sun is a yellow, sun is a yellow star. Okay. They call it a G2 star because it emits a particular kind of light that sustains photosynthesis, which is what makes the plants grow. Who knew? Wow. <laughs> well, they know. Right. Now they know that you need that. Um, another thing that they talked about was how far away you are from that. There's a very small place that you can be around that star to have life as we know it. You get too close, you're like uh, Venus, which their atmosphere is burned up. If you go too far, you go to Mars, their atmosphere is frozen. You can't have life as we know it there. Um, You have to have the right kind of Earth that has its own furnace going, and there's a lot more stuff. I mean, there's so much stuff in the book that it just blows your mind. Um, but we can use that, though, sure. uh, when we're Once talking to in, them about those things, mm-hmm. how, how privileged our planet is, 
and if they think that, that uh, all this stuff just happened, mm -hmm. it's impossible for all this just to happen. Well, they talk about the tilt of the planet, mm -hmm. 23 and a half degrees, mm -hmm. perfect for having seasonal changes. They talked about the moon, mm -hmm. the moon being a quarter the size of the earth, and yet it's uh, far enough away so that it affects the tides mm -hmm. to clean out your, uh, your estuaries and, and, and the tides come up and down, but it doesn't come up too much, mm -hmm. but it's not too little. It's, it's mm -hmm. just the right place. And they said another thing that they thought was that we were in the right place in a galaxy that we could observe the universe. How about that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And they said that there's nowhere else that, that they know of in the universe where when the moon goes in front of the sun, it's exactly enough so that you can see the corona and find out things about our star that you couldn't if you didn't see that corona. Mm. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's cool. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God's and cool. The, oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. And the last really thing cool. that I think they talked about um, that, that I thought would be interesting for us to have ammunition against those who would say that um, or the Big Bang Theory or evolution or whatever is that uh, in biochemistry, mm -hmm. uh, how really complex our cells are, really. Yeah. You just can't, all of a sudden you had one little cell, and then it came to another cell, then another cell, and then here come the animals, and then come the... Tell us about the complexity that they found out about our cells. Well, they found that um, in order to make a cell, the first thing you need is amino acids. And you need um, left-handed amino acids. There's left and right, by the way. Left-handed? Left-handed and right-handed. They, I don't know how they know that, but they... Okay. <laughs> uh, you have to have the right kind of left-handed amino acids link up in the right position or the, the right sequence. It takes about 100 of them. And they just don't do it on their own because the conditions on Earth are not conducive to, the, to do that on their own. Mm -hmm. They saw that they... they some scientists looked for um, self-aligning. There's some sort of law that, you know, self-replicating or self-aligning, mm -hmm. and uh, they haven't found it yet. Mm -hmm. But you need 100 amino acids, left-handed amino acids, to make uh, one protein molecule. And then you need probably a couple dozen of the right kind of protein molecules linked up in the right kind of sequence to form a cell. And they said that the odds about, of that happening by itself... Well, um, he said it was like, if I took you and blindfolded you and put you about a million miles out in space and gave you a dart, and you threw that dart at the earth, and you were aiming at an atom, and you hit it. <laughs> it's harder than that. <laughs> they said wow. the odds are like one in... 10 with 125 zeros after it. Mm. It just doesn't happen. But they say, well, they, you know, these guys who are on the evolution side come into it with a worldview that there is no supernatural. So I don't know how it happened, but it happened. Mm -hmm. right. Here's the proof. Right. We're here. Well, I tell you, uh, you've been very enlightening to us, Jack, and we can you know, add that to our toolbox of those who don't believe in a creator, uh, especially that one about uh, the, the, the way our cells are made. 
uh, and there are so many other things like like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just ridiculous even to believe in evolution. Now talk about the eye. Right. Okay. <laughs> he said that the eye, the human eye, or any eye for that matter, you have to have about 19 different components all working together in order to have a functioning eye. If you take one of those components away, you have blindness. You don't have an eye. It doesn't work. Evolution says that minute changes will bring what's coming, but you can't have 18 parts of the eye or 17 parts and still have an eye that shows any benefit. It's just a piece of tissue. Uh, blood clotting. You need 10 steps with 20 different molecular compounds in order to have blood clotting. You get the wrong stuff, your blood clots in your veins. Or it doesn't clot at all and all your blood drips out. You've got to have them all there at once. Not just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. You've got to have them all there. 10 different steps. 19 or 20 different chemical compounds. Hmm. Right. So when God <laughs> says we are wonderfully made, we are wonderfully made, huh? Mm -hmm. yeah. Praise God. Praise that's, God. That's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> There's so much in the book. You've got, you got to get the book. If uh, you know, If you don't like to read, do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, you know get a synopsis of it because there's just so much in there. There's just so much ammo in there. And, and, and Jack is saying that because what he wants to do is for us to be able to talk to the atheists, to talk to the creationists, uh, not the creationists, but the evolutionists, uh, the, the one who believes in Darwinism, and uh, to be able to maybe win them to the Lord because that, that is our purpose. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 26, it tells us that all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's a gold Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, all nations. Mm -hmm. in, and he, in Hebrews, he says, those who come to God must first believe that he exists. And right. so our first mm -hmm. step mm -hmm. is yes, to give them reason to believe mm -hmm. in a creator. Right. And that's what our job is. So uh, I, I thank God for, for Jack. I was telling him that, that um, we need each other because Jack, he, he loves history uh, he loves reading and things like that. Uh, he reads the Bible too, but uh, he, he specializes in, in, in this stuff. And I don't. Uh, so we need each other. Uh, some of you specialize in other things. And what we're trying to do is to use what God has given the body in order to help each other uh, to more advance his kingdom because it's all about winning souls. And if we are here or to just enjoy life, we're going to be a, a rude awakening because God didn't, didn't, didn't uh, create us uh, for uh, our pleasure. He created us for his pleasure, for us to glorify him, for us to serve him, and for us to be his arms, his feet, his mouthpiece. And when he says they go into the world and make disciples, that's what he means. And I just need more tools. So thank you. Now, what do we have to look forward to for next week? Uh, maybe I can invite somebody to, to come to hear this. Now, I think we're talking about a case for Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, now we've already talked about a creator. I mean, is it going to be some of the same stuff? I mean, you know, what, what, what are we going to get, Jack? Well, he goes around. A, the, the first book that he did, he went and talked to theologians who were also, many of them were interviewed for a case for a creator because they went into theology and they went into uh, a different, I mean, these guys are just, Curious, they want to know, so they study these things. Psychologists, and um, so he talks to them, 
from a point of view, he said, I'm going to ask them the questions. See, as a, he was the legal editor or the editor of the legal page of the Chicago Tribune, and so he was pretty much an investigative reporter, and he was pretty tough. He would ask questions and dig and dig and dig and try to find the truth, and he wasn't afraid to ask the question that nobody wants to hear. He says, I'm going to ask these guys some tough questions. I'm going to find out if they're really phony, if they really have the, the goods or they don't. And so he talks about um, the, um, the can we believe in the scriptures? Are they historically correct? Are they, um, is it, it talks about Jesus, are the eyewitnesses somebody that can be trusted? Are the, is there any, any other evidence besides the scriptures and the gospels that we have? How old are they? Are they fairy tales or were they written, you know, when were they written and how were they written okay. and who wrote them? So we have people who we meet, whether it be Appomattox, Amherst, Bedford, uh, Campbell County, Nelson County, Lynchburg, wherever we go, we're going to meet somebody who doesn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. But we're going to also meet people who believe there's a God but doesn't believe that Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is the only way, truth, and life. Yeah, they thought he was a good man. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, Buddha. And, yeah. Yeah, I've guys. met people that were, uh, grew up in the church with their parents. They went off to school, and I was talking to uh, one young lady. This was about 10 years ago, 8 years ago, somewhere in the neighborhood, 8 to 10 years ago. And she said that she believed that it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what God you believe in, as long as you believe that there's a there is a God, you have some type of religion in you, that you, you're going to heaven. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter about mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, it can, it can be Muhammad. That's easy. And I said, I said <laughs> Is that easy? Jack, we need to hear this t- next week. Yeah. Let's stand. Mm-hmm. We need to hear this. We're talking about helping the church. You might think that I thought we were going to come and hear the word of God, you know, because you know, usually that's what I teach, the word. I mean, the word, 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 word. Um, but let me tell you, God is calling the church outside the walls to be his mouthpiece to witness to people. And it doesn't satisfy just to come here and have our great time only. We need to do that. But if we don't take it outside, if we don't use what God has given us outside, then we are not being obedient to the word of God. And, and, and is, we can say, I know the word, but you don't do the word. What good is knowing the word and only and don't do it? Because that's what he said in, in James. So we want to be not only hearers, but we want to be doers of the word. So, Jack, you have enlightened me, and I'm sure you've enlightened, enlightened the congregation because they knew more than I did uh, from the beginning about this. That I didn't even know anything about this. And you were teaching me at my house. So I said, man, this is awesome. Uh, so I, I, I feel comfortable now. Bring them on. If they believe in evolution, bring them on. I got some ammunition for them because I got it here. I don't have to say, well, uh, Jack Van Gerp, if you will see him, no, they're not going to come to your house. I'm the one who interacting with them, so I need some ammunition. So that's what you've given me. And I'm, I'm going to get some more next week. Next week. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, 
or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.